to enter into the mandala over the weekend when and be quite fixed in the that, that rather formal perspective. But in the gaps between sessions, gaps between those that, that formality, uh, in which we are supposed to sustain the vision, how do we do that? I think it helps to have the, that threefold analysis in mind, where the first one is you, you hear the dog chant, or you get the hit of the essence, and you don't look back or you, you don't revert to that, that sub, submer, submergence in samsara where there is the path of, of practice and the rest. You don't get that dualization. That's, of course, that's the best way to go. Uh, and then there is the, the absence of memory, is that actually the technical word of, that we use for the awareness of the nature of mind. We don't have any memory at all of that. We're back in samsara as if we'd never actually looked beyond that or deeper or, or uh, transcendent. So, so that that as uh, submergence in samsara. Then there's that middle ground which we are at. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here tonight. Where we've seen the vision, we've had the initiatory experience. We know what that's about. We have intimate uh, connection. We've had that intimate awareness of the nature of mind. And, and perhaps, or I, uh, uh, one would hope that that had become the touchstone of our lives and not a touchstone which uh, is out there somewhere that we have to arrive at again through some mysterious process, but it's innate, and we know that it's innate, and, but there, there, there's a, a, a film of uh, obstruction between us
opposite test. Yes, we're in this intermediate space. So sometimes we see it and sometimes we don't. That's the issue. Sometimes you, sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't. Uh, and, and what do you do about that? Something to do with lifestyle? Something to do with the gaps between meditation? Or the n n gaps between uh, the teaching? If only we could define that difference, then we could do something about it, could we not? But anyway, by chance is it, or by some planetary influence, or some uh, something, we get back to it. So it's in and out of more or less. Is it a lifestyle? Is it the, the, uh, the practice of uh, following the, some vow or other, some, some, some uh, rules of living, moral rules, uh, social rules? Asking you the questions, I mean, I don't need answers. But, uh, ethical rules, anyway. Sorry? Ethical rules, maybe. Ethical rules? Yeah. Sure. What ethical rules? Tell us, what we, we want this information. If you know the rules, <laughs> then for sure we'll. Well, no, because there's nothing else really in life except that nature of mind identity. So, please. So your the question you're posing is what are the obscurations? What are the barriers to recognizing nature of mind? Point four seven as opposed to going in and out, right? Okay. Is that is that the question? Sorry. I didn't mention obscurations. <laughs> uh, well, how do you define obscurations? <coughs> I was thinking in terms of why ethics might be or might ethics. be right. something to consider. Because if there's been an activity, an action that disturbs the mind in a negative or just even in some sort of a chaotic or stirring up way, that is a, you've, you've done something that you don't really think was the proper thing to do, so your mind is disturbed, would that not be a barrier? Is 
theory, that, that sounds good. Now, please give us an, an example. It's just, just even something simple, um, like um, you have, you're, you're supposed to stop at a stop sign, and you don't. You decide to kind of slide through it, and you almost hit a pedestrian. And you if, don't. You if you stop, you think you. <coughs> You're opening up a door into the nature of mind. Sorry? If you stop at the stop sign, rather than running, running through it, you're actually opening up... No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that if you do it, if you somehow or another transgress, you are creating a barrier. Not that you're opening if you don't transgress, you're opening it up. If you do transgress, you're creating a barrier. Please. I'm Please gonna... burst this bubble. Okay. So if you're out there lying and cheating and stealing, then one, you're gonna you're not gonna have first of all, you're not gonna come here. It won't be interesting. So you won't hear the teachings, and then you won't have that opportunity to experience the, the transformation. And also, you're just clouding your mind, like uh, Susan was saying, obstacles, that it, you can't have stuff coming in that you don't interpret in terms of, oh, how is this, how am I going to take advantage of this for my own vent? Benefit. You're not an open, receptive vessel. You're saying, I hope, or I suspect, <laughs> uh, that virtue is the way to the uh, nature of mind, or somehow virtue has a monopoly on the nature of mind, whereas vice does not. That's not what I was that's, saying. No, me neither. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. That's no. Good. Yeah. Then. You want to take it? You want to I'll go ahead. <laughs> it was nothing having to do with virtue or vice. It had to do with doing an activity that <coughs> um, stirred up the mind and didn't allow it to settle. I can easily get rid of that. Uh, you're saying that the, a peaceful mind is somehow superior to a, 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 an active, energized mind as an entree into as an the entree. nature of all mind. As an entree into all mind? As mind itself. I don't know how to answer that. What I do know is that when I practice and um, in the Mahamudra tradition, not a Dzogchen tradition, although I'm, I'm really totally unclear as to what the difference is, but that what we are instructed to do first is to settle the mind, the shamatha. 
Sorry? It's called the vibing meditation. Uh. <coughs> and then to move into a Mahamudra frame, then to study nature of mind. But at first, the instructions are right. no, to do it steadily. Um, uh, Mahamudra is graduated path, or rather the Tibetan man. Tibetan Mahamudra Prabhupada is, a gra is graduated. As far as I know, there's no immediate path of Mahamudra. Whereas in Dzogchen, it is a path of immediacy, which is the which takes precedence over the path of the graduated path. Then I'm coming from a different Yes. Yeah. Okay. The the way to retain the immediacy is to obviously uh, relate to the nature of whatever arises, whether it's peaceful or rough or ethical or unethical, uh, virtue or vice. Uh, uh, because if, if it's only virtue or it's, if it's only the Pacific mind that is malleable or or, or, or giving in, in terms of its nature, then of course this excludes, uh, I, I was about to say criminals, uh, but let, let's make it wider than that, broader than that of course. Uh, I, if, but even in Mahamudra, if you look at the 84 Mahasiddhas, then it, the uh, there was the thief, for example. Right, right, right. Uh, that certainly the Mahamudra mindset included stealing. Uh, it, it, it also included murder, if you could or uh, killing. If you look at Shavari. Um, so no. Let's not go to, into this dualistic uh, necessity for stilling the mind. Yes, insofar as the uh, exercise we did over the weekend uh, required, first of all, getting out of the nantok, getting out of the mental chatter and, in, and deeper into the mind's nature, uh, regardless of what color the the Namtok was, uh, yes, there, there was, there is a process of stilling the mind, but that's immediate. That's not to, to be done uh, on a graduate, graduated uh, time form. So I don't know. Let's let's say absolutely no. Ethics is not the way. Right. What was the original question? What is it that actually allows us to return to the 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 fount of yishi of non-dual awareness? This is the big question, because this, of course, will determine our lifestyle. Because once we've had that initiatory hit, 
mean, there's nothing else in life which is which is worthwhile after all. Any kind of success or or pleasure is reduced very much to a insignificance. Please. So I'm trying to equate what we're talking about to language that I understand, and maybe it's there's no equation, but the initiatory experience is that similar to perceiving ultimate reality directly or direct perception of emptiness? Is that sort of the equivalent? Of initiatory experience? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I, you could say that, but it's not, not that a matter the same, of awareness, uh, uh, emptiness as an object, it's awareness uh, of the emptiness, or emptiness as awareness, mm. so that there's no distinction between the knower and the known, the awareness and the uh, of, of objective emptiness. But let me, let Yes? Am I allowed to play with words a little bit? No. <laughs> I think so, because, well, I, I understand a direct perception of emptiness to be what you're saying. <clears throat> Can you actually sit down on your meditation seat and, uh, uh, and meditate on emptiness? In an intellectual way, personally, yes. I that. Yes, no. <laughs> that's. I mean, that's all I'm really. I mean, that's all I'm really getting to at this point. Is an intellectual meditation. No, we left the intellect behind. Mm, mine's mine's still there most of the time. <laughs> I mean, in a sense, I think like on a. I mean, maybe a clear, open awareness type of meditation, I can do that sort of thing. Not that I don't have the potential, but I don't think I have the skill at this point. The distinction is, is meditating upon emptiness in which you, you have an aim and a path and, and something to do. And alternatively, simply being and falling into the nature of mind which is empty. One is falling into non-duality, the other is uh, sustaining a dualism. Okay. What I want to know is how to fall into and to, uh, to sustain that falling into emptiness in the simply sitting session or in a meditation session. How is that to be done? Is there really even an answer to that? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Very carefully. <laughs> That's the whole point. There is nothing that to be done. 
And so now let's go back to how do we, how do we act? How, what was our aims or what is our existential stance in the period between teaching or in the, the, the or between um, meditations? With that understanding, with the understanding that there is nothing we can actually do to induce enlightenment. So your question is, what is the behavior? What is the behavior? What do we do? What action? You've got view, meditation, and action. These are, these are the threefold uh, viewpoints or uh, the, uh, any yana in the Buddhist tradition is elucidated by. So the view we know, the meditation, we know, and what is the action? The view is what you, what you gain through what we, what we gain through the initiatory experience. The meditation is non-meditation. So, in that period of action, what do we do? Non-meditation, then action would be the same. Non-action. Would be just, just, just be, would be not, would just be, be. How do you do that? I don't know. I mean, how can you be completely, totally present? How do you do that? I don't know. I don't know. I wish I <laughs> you just you practice. You just practice it, and then you get there. Practice what? Practice being completely present. How do you do that? Do well, you can drop. Be, you can so, drop into the the feeling of the moment. You can get there different ways and experiment with it until until you actually get there. Just sitting and not moving. No. Yeah, can you do action <laughs> to get to non-action? I think you can. Do action to get to non-action? Like sitting down and meditating every day to get to a point where I can be completely still. We're talking about the gaps between the meditation steps. <clears throat> or habituating on the cushion so in the gaps I can do the same thing. I'm sorry? Or <coughs> habituating myself on the cushion so then in the gaps it starts to bleed over and I'm able to do the same thing. Like still my mind instead of reacting in a negative way to someone who yells at me or something along those lines. Uh, how does that act out professionally? Mm, you mean at work? Mm -hmm. Like in a professional environment? In, in, in a in the daily, the, the daily round of a doctor of medicine or, or a doctor of law, or, uh, 
in a where anybody who works in a professional capacity, surely you should be fully involved in your in the activity which you are doing for, for the benefit of others. Um, uh, how can you maintain that the uh, the stance that you take in meditation, which is non-meditation? I think it's through, well, my experience to this point, I think it's through that stillness of mind that then starts to, well, not in fact, but, you know, bleed over into everything. And then when I'm at work and I'm focusing, there's still that stillness there. And I think there's a way through it where I can get to that point that I'm in meditation that I haven't gotten there yet. But it seems, seems to be available to me. I'm thinking of a, of a story, and I don't know other. I don't know any way to, to put it into in, other than a story. But you said the Mahasiddhi, so I'm thinking of Tilopa became enlightened when he was crushing sesame seeds to get the oil out. That was his job. That was his work, and that's what he did. And that's that led him to completely living in nature of mind to total clarity and, and um, he just did it crushing the seeds is that a metaphor hmm? is it, or it's uh, it, it's uh, uh, literal mm -hmm. literal I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the story, right? That, that, that's how Europa found him. He was crushing sesame seeds. To but, I mean, if you or I crush the sesame seeds, we're not going to get enlightenment, even after 12 years. No, but Tilopa did. After, so, why did he, why, why, why was he so special? Right, that's my question, is I don't know what he was doing. I don't know he knew what... what uh, metaphorically, yeah. he was crushing sesame seeds, but he was actually crushing thoughts or emotions and, uh, and uh, liberating the uh, essential nature, the nature of mind. Yes. I want us to get to the point where uh, it's self-evident there's nothing we can do. And w once we've reached that point, then uh, the, what we do do it arises spontaneously, and, well, karmically also. Say again? Get it at any time? 
like if there's nothing to do and nothing to change and non-meditation, then anyone could have an initiatory experience at any time. And we just have to wait. <laughs> Hurry up and wait. Yeah. yeah. Any, anyone, I want to be quite clear about this. Uh, uh, anybody can have this enlightened experience and doesn't matter uh, what kind of preparation we think we're doing. Uh, the actual event arises spontaneously independent of uh, a, a, a path that is worked out or negotiated. <laughs> so you're saying that that is the case? Is that what you're saying? I, I, I must say that appeals to me much more than uh, doing anything. Because, well, it's, in my life, nothing that I have done actually seems to work. Oh, you might say, well, it's obviously not... Uh, not done enough, or not doing the right thing, or uh, he's going on a, a tangent. Uh, that might very well be the case. And, and not only that, but I'm looking at other people doing this or that with enlightenment in mind and seeing that they're actually, they're, they're their, their means, their scope of means, their way of acting and speaking and relating is actually not sometimes better and sometimes worse, but it's really not getting to the, the, the end point. In, or, so my uh, understanding is that you don't get anywhere by doing anything. You might get might be more socially uh, engaged or, or you might be more professionally successful or you might be intellectually uh, more uh, clear and uh, uh, logical, rational but not the Buddha's enlightenment. Yes, what about all the tantra practices? What about them? That supposedly train and cultivate one's capacity to recognize the waking state of mind or to, to train one to have more capacity to be a Buddha. Well, there is something about uh, being thrown from pillar to post in samsara and not being able to see any pattern or to find any base. Uh, there's something about arriving at a place where you put your mind in order and you create a discipline and, and you have a mode of relating with other people and life suddenly is a little bit more shiny. Uh, that's, I, I, would, I would say Tantra allows <coughs> that. 
but again, uh, enlightenment. Do you know any enlightened tantricas? No. <laughs> <laughs> If I did, would I even know? <laughs> well, you, relatively speaking, yeah. you don't know. <clears throat> Does that formula work in, in general in social or interpersonal situations, or does it work for yourself when you're alone? Uh, that you don't know. I've gone way, way past enlightenment, so that was. Well, it does, it does seem to, I mean, I'm pretty much a Dharma failure, so, in, in some Well, that, then you're way ahead, uh, insofar as uh, positive Dharmic methods uh, have only taken you uh, forward to some degree, but the doing stuff it doesn't appear to actually give the, what you want. Not me personally, or but Dharma centers, Dharma teachers. No, personally. Yeah. I mean, just because I'm just, again, very poor learner and, and have pretty heavy karma, but I see other people, well, I mean, I don't know what is in somebody's mind, but I, see, I notice people who have, appear to be very capable and have successful lives, you know, and it's somewhat connected, their capacity to to master a method, you know, I'm not saying they're enlightened and, they're, and their capacity to have a successful life on a material level as well. A successful life? Materially successful. Materially successful. Yeah. And successful in relationships. I mean, I, I don't mean to idealize people, because I really can't speak for other people too much. But there are people, like even seeing, um, you know, a Lama who can practice all day long without getting tired and create, has just a lot of knowledge of, of visualization and a lot of mastery over their, the tantric practice is kind of a skill that is kind of beyond my capacity. It seems like some people come to some kind of awakening uh, through inquiry and investigation. Zen-like koan type of awakening. In other words, you know how that works. Why someone could be trying to understand what the nature of mind is a, a million times and not get it, or it's very hit or miss, and one day suddenly they get it. why that worked that time. <laughs> So one would tend to say, well, I got it through this inquiry or this paying attention, but then why did it work this one time 
And it didn't work the million other times that I tried it. And if I tell other people to do this, it doesn't work for them. So there, it seemed like there was some connection with something I was doing, but was there, but uh, what was that connection? It can't really be spelled out. It doesn't seem to be a formula that works in any way, right? Right. So. So what, what do you deduce from this? Well, but the, but the thing is that most of the people for whom this has happened, so we say, not that you can't do anything, yet for most people who, for whom this has happened, they did a lot. They did do a lot. Yes. So they wore themselves out or something like My that. My question is, mm -hmm. does it only happen for people who go to a monastery and, and, and fully involve themselves in a club? Uh, or does it, can it not happen for the bricklayer? Yeah. Or even the politician? Mm -hmm. Or a criminal or whatever, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. how do you uh, re respond to that? What does the monk have, or what does the practitioner have, which the bricklayer does not? Recognition. It's kind of crucial in my mind. Have the initiatory experience and the opportunity for the, mm -hmm. the initiatory experience. Uh, uh, the monk has the initiative. Right. The bricklayer can't have an initiative. He can, experience? but he, but it's. I mean, there might be some bricklayers here, but it, there's a good chance. I mean, it would be more obviously. Teachers come to monasteries and give teachings and initiatory experience. Mm -hmm. Bricklayers might go out and have a beer or. They might not be interested in Dharma, but they may They may be a bricklayer by day and a Dharma practitioner as well. It's possible. This is a good point. If I can elaborate that myself, that the monk is opening himself to the possibility of that experience, whereas the bricklayer has no idea at all. So that when the experience arises, he might not even recognize it as such. just puts it aside as a, of some... Imagination or some, some karmic glitch. Uh, anyway, not give it any significance. Right. Now, that is a good reason to keep put yourself in a situation where you may recognize it when it arises, or you may educate yourself in the, in the circumstances of possibility. Uh, but does that necessarily involve a monastic lifestyle? Does it involve practicing the, the, uh, the difficult body, speech, and mind exercises of Tantra? Does it involve Shamatha Vipassana? What does Shamatha Vipassana give us that allows us to recognize the nature of mind when that revelation arises? Well, on the, when you were saying that Mahamudra is a graduated process, uh -huh. that would be applicable there, that, that Shamatha and Vipassana would be steps that open one, give one some sort of a, a, a visceral as well as an intellectual understanding. 
experience. Now you're suggesting that this path is denominated by uh, steps in which you are increasingly uh, open to experience of the nature of man or initiatory experience. Now, uh, I didn't say that. Well, why would you think that one samsaric posture is more open and uh, suggestive than another? One <clears throat> samsaric what? Posture or, or activity, or, or mental energetic. Yes. Uh, because what increases one's clarity um, puts one in a better position to be able to recognize or recognize the uh, nature of mind when in that situation. Right. Otherwise, it just goes and you miss it. Uh, okay. You mean uh, that, uh, that you have more potential when you're yeah. doing caring than when you're doing Vipassana. You have more potential when you're doing Kiram than Vipassana? Kiram, the primary practice of Tantra. I think they oh. they both put one in a position in a better a position of better possibility than doing neither. So the bricklayer is completely out of Kind of. I'm sorry about that. If they're in the <laughs> no, I don't think they're completely out of it. I think that it might be more what you stated earlier that the experience can arise and be merely go. Wow, that was a weird. Thing, and then that's that's all of the attention that it receives. That it's just you know some sort of vision, some sort of a you know I must have hit my head or you know I don't know, but that it, it doesn't receive the attention, it doesn't receive um, the recognition that it might. Otherwise, we see in somebody who's practiced for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, 10 years, 5 years, whatever. Yeah, the bricklayer is going to say, honey, what'd you put in my coffee? It made me a little dizzy. Unless he has different, or she has different karmic seeds from the past, then they might have that experience and recognize it even though they haven't practice in this lifetime. I said unless the bricklayer has different seeds from the past, then if they have the right seeds come up, they might recognize the experience when it happens and know what it is. Isn't it possible that the monk will also be unable to recognize the experience? Mm -hmm. Now we're back to square one. So then the question is, is why practice? Why, why 
why learn view, why learn concentration, when the only thing that matters is non-action? Are you saying that non-action cannot be practiced or that it can be practiced? I, I'm not saying either. I don't know. I'm, I'm asking is, are you intimating that it isn't well, if to have view, it's not a free will. I mean, you said there were three pieces, right? There's view, there's concentration, and there's action. Yeah. So one must have all three, right? Certainly not learning another culture. Learning, learning another culture, or, or the ethics, or the, uh, uh, the the method, or the view of, of another culture. Although perhaps learning something other than your own conditioned view mm. uh, replaces the condition, or displaces the, uh, makes it that could be beneficial. That's my understanding of Tantra, is you replace one imaginary illusory view with another one that's a little more colorful and interesting and beautiful to help loosen up your <laughs> attachment to any of your illusory views. Uh, if you're stuck in your very concretized, neophyte illusory view. This is a less, somewhat less reified one we substitute. Right. Something like that. I'm sure this is true. So uh, uh, that we should not consider the qualities of, uh, and the, or the constellation of another view in itself to be and the indoctrination by that culture to be the point, but rather the displacement of a present culture, our conditioned culture, is what is. Isn't that what psychedelic drugs do to a large extent? You get a completely different yeah. perspective. But in, with the techniques of Tantra, because you immerse yourself in it so much, for so many hours, uh -huh. it seems to have a longer-lasting effect. Now, what, what, what are you immersing, immersing yourself in? Well, you know, visualizing your, the, you're in the mandala of the deity, and so on and so forth. So that changes, it kind of alters your perception in a certain way. In a little more lasting way than a psychedelic, you take the drug 
and then it's gone and it seems it's very defined. Right. Whereas this, it seems to soak into your, so that spontaneously you begin to experience the mandala even when you're just going at the, at the supermarket and suddenly it comes upon you, you know, if you've been immersing yourself. Uh -huh. So that kind of creates <laughs> a displacement of your ordinary, concretized, reified, very self-centered and limited, usual uh, Okay. Aspect. However, it, 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 let me get this straight. You're replacing the old one by the new one, and the new one is superior, but does that measure of superiority turn translate as enlightenment? Uh, not necessarily, but it's uh, it loosens up, loosens up the loosens up. Good, loosens you up. I like the loosening up. <laughs> but, uh, but still, that begs the question. Mm. Uh, we should live lives that, that allow that looseness so that we are able to recognize the hit of enlightenment or the slow suffusion of enlightenment when it arises. Mm -hmm. is, is that all we can do? Where does the Bodhisattva mouth fit in? spontaneously efficacious in the process. Right. But that doesn't mean you don't still do the action. Are you doing the action as a mechanical response? I don't know if it's a mechanical response as much as it is, I don't know, I don't like the word mechanical. That sounds unfeeling. You know, but if it's not rooted in the nature of mind and the, the in, in enlightened spontaneity, then it's just the product of karmic reactivity. Ah, I see. Okay. <coughs> because to do otherwise is to do nothing. To do otherwise is to not do the vow at all. Well, the, the, the question arises then is, Insofar as we are in touch with the nature of mind, does the bodhisattvic activity arise spontaneously in our everyday interaction, yes. in our everyday experience? Does timelessness actually infuse our time, uh, timely, yes. timeliness? You're in nature of mind. If you're resting in nature of mind, yes, because there is no time. I mean, it's, it's you know, a relative concept. Well, we, well if, if we start with uh, uh, defining ourselves as this second level of realization, those which 
the nature of mind appears and is retracted. Then it's not a matter of waiting for this lifetime or three lifetimes or many lifetimes. It's a matter of waiting how long? The next minute? Or for the next meditation period? Waiting for what? Identity with the nature of mind. So that whatever arises, arises spontaneously for the benefit of all sentient beings. I'm confused as to why one needs to wait to perform an action. If the action is before you, if the action is there to be performed, if the action is, I mean, it's just there, you just do it. Well, let me come back to my question. What yeah. do you do in the gaps between periods of moments of realization? When you're not actually in touch with the nature of mind, you're not acting spontaneously for the benefit of means of fulfilling the bodhisattva the vow, then what do you do? You still act. You act. How do you act? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it's comically you're acting, you're enacting. Comically. That's not necessarily appropriate. Oh, karmically. Karmically. Ah. Well, I think when you recognize that you're not in, in touch with the nature of mind, and you're not in touch with the nature, you recognize you're not in touch with the nature of that already helps to be a bridge to recognize uh, the nature of mind. Ooh, that sounds solipsistic. Do you think? Whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> no, when you recognize that you're not in touch with the nature of mind, then there's nothing you can do about it. Then the nature of mind is there. That is the nature of mind. Uh, no. Uh, to me, it seems like it's more a matter of memory, recognition, re seeing actually what you're doing. Which which memory are you talking? There's memory mm. that is karmic, and then, mm. then there's memory of the nature, the absolute nature. Exactly. Now that's the memory. But sometimes you're not really in touch with it, by seeing how you're out and not in touch with it, that can spark the memory of the actual nature, the absolute nature. <laughs> it can. It may not. You know, you're, you're actually saying mm -hmm. that we can forcefully or, or rationally return to the nature of mind. Uh, or we can induce in initial experience. But, mm -hmm. we, but our initial uh, proposition was that, <laughs> that it cannot be induced. Well, if it could be induced, mm -hmm. then either Jesus or Buddha or, or uh, uh, Mohammed, somebody, would have 
told us how to do it. Or did they? they? Did. Don't, we just ignored them. No, they did tell us. They well, laid yeah. out like a whole well, huge the, the path to who, follow. People who have been carrying this transmission have messed it up. <laughs> we can say that, yeah. <laughs> it, it does seem to make some sense um, physiologically or uh, uh, psych psychologically that if in, in the gaps, if we act as if we were realizing the nature of mind, then we create patterns that create the habit that will make it more likely for us to recognize the nature of mind when the opportunity arises. I, I think we, we should accept this as possibility. Now, is, it, is that proposition strong enough to, uh, upon which strong enough to base our entire lives upon. And what if we were making a mistake? And, and anyway, nothing happened. I don't think that proposition is sufficient to actually bring us all here. Uh, and, and create this uh, what is it? Mandala. We need some inkling of the nature of man. We need some inkling of initiatory experience in order to come here tonight and to consider these issues. consider why we are here and not that bunch of people down at the pub. Wouldn't that be karma? Okay, now wh which karma is it? What you mean, is it black karma or white karma? I don't know, it's karma. It's, if it's karma, then it's karma. We've already discussed that the actual environment doesn't induce the experience of the nature of mind. There's nothing which we can do to initiate experience of the nature of mind or to initiate enlightenment. Why? Why is there nothing we can do to do that? Because if we, ha we, we, we have been doing that, have we not? And we are not yet enlightened. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I just do it once and it happens. Mm -hmm. But why, why would it have to be that I would do it one time and it would happen? Why couldn't it be that you practice over time and then you plant the right habituation or the right seeds and then it happens. Or maybe you practice well, over time and then it happens one time. Have, 
what the answer is then? I believe it's the Buddhist. I believe it's the Buddhist path that I've been following. Well, the one that you've been following. Now, which is the one you've been following? Uh, Because obviously we're not talking about the Burmese one. Right, the Tibetan Gulupa tradition. And probably not the ones that the Tibetans are following either. So, which one is this? The Gulupa path. That's what I've been following. As it's come you know, to me. You, you put, you're running yourself into a hole here. How? Because well, perhaps you should be up here. I'll be down there. Because no, I'm asking. I've got, no, I've got no path to teach, where obviously you have. I've learned a path. But I'm I'm wondering why I'm asking why it can't be done right gradually or why it is that it would just have to happen once because I I don't know what I don't know and it seems no, that there is something. But you just said or you implied that your path was giving you glimpses of the nature of mind increasingly. I would say it which, is. Which would imply yeah. that there will, eventually you'll attain enlightenment or full realization of the nature of mind at the end of it. I believe that, yeah. Well, God, not that. <laughs> but I know that there's different paths, and this is a different path we're, we're talking about tonight, so I'm curious of the difference, or the, um, the contrast. What if we change the terminology okay. a little bit? And what, what if we change <coughs> nature of mind to recognition or... Realization? Nature, yeah, right, exactly, of non-duality. Okay. If that's the case, then any spiritual path is going to. I mean, is is the is the distinction having a spiritual component, if for lack of a better word, as part of one's life path, as opposed to just a um, you know rationalistic or whatever all the other labels are that don't include a seeking of why am I here, a seeking of what is my relationship to the world, a seeking of those kinds of big questions. Is that a necessary component to of, of whatever spiritual path. Is that is a spiritual path a necessary component to eventually recognizing non-duality? No, I, I mean no. Uh-huh. Not, not in the in the Zobchen frame. Okay. In the, the in the frame there is no th- no such thing as depth in mind. You don't as a, 
Everything's in, in a single dimension. So there's no dimension of spirituality separate from sensuality or in, uh, intellectuality. Okay. The spiritual is uh, uh, assimilated to yeah. our sensory and uh, mental dual. experience. It's not dual. Right? It, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you assume the non-duality okay. in order to realize the non-duality. That's right. So so what what the question is of my original postulation was what do you do while behind or in front of that assumption. How do you act while assuming <clears throat> the, the, the perfection of, of every moment of experience? One thing you can do is come here as opposed to going to the pub, unless you think that the people at the pub are just as likely to open to the non-dual experience as the people that come here. And they are. Now, insofar as the 84-mile sitters in the Mahmoudi <laughs> tradition were from all walks of life and have all kinds of professions, <clears throat> from prostitutes to thieves, all the way up to uh, uh, abbots and, uh, and intellectuals, uh, why should we assume that coming here is actually superior to going to the pub? That's what I want to know. It's not, it's not necessarily. Right. But, uh, and and what, the only reason that we are not at the pub is that this somehow gives us uh, uh, a, a, a shot of... Uh, uh, alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> we should start serving alcohol here. <laughs> get more people. Do you ever say that and then a bunch of people get up and walk out and go to the bar? Right, I think. But the booze is better here. <laughs> so what do we? So the question again is, what do we do while we're waiting? Yes. Well, I guess what we do doesn't change the nature of our mind. So it sounds like it doesn't necessarily matter so much. Like all the different paths that we're taught or we try to follow, that sounds like it's more for like the karmic mind almost that is forced upon us. And I thought about your question about, you know, like, why are we all here? We, we hope that this will lead us somewhere. But, I mean, I honestly don't know. So, you know what I mean? So it's like I choose to come here instead of coming to choose to go to a bar. But I don't know if this is the path that will actually take me. I'm not. I don't have that level of awareness yet. So... But you maybe don't think the bar is going to get you there. And so you well, chose something else. Well, it seems just like personal preference at this point. You know, like, <laughs> I was thinking about, I was like, I just prefer to be here than to be at the bar. But, 
you know? And so I wonder if it's like sitting in meditation is a, you know, like a personal or karmic preference of a way to tap into that nature of mind versus taking psychedelic drugs or whatever, and, you know. I didn't really have a point, so. <laughs> like that's kind of just what I've been thinking about as we've been talking. I think what we do is uh, live with the conviction and confidence. I think what we do is live with conviction that we are the great perfection. What's that word, live? With conviction. With conviction. How do we gain conviction? It's not, you don't do anything for conviction. You have the initial experience and then you have the conviction. I, I think the, the, the essential realization is that when we do nothing, then spontaneous or, or spontaneity, spontaneity will then arise. So that, uh, and with that conviction, we have a power. Did you, did you say that, well, or I thought somebody said that we act as though every moment is perfect, or we see the perfection in every moment? Did you say that? Because what was coming to me is if that was exactly how we saw every moment, then we would just automatically be flowing through our life and not making, not having to make all these choices because we would, like Jay's saying, there's like a conviction in that, and then we would just kind Absolutely. of be flowing along. So uh, when that conviction is arising, when that sense of perfection is arising, and we don't need to come to this, this, this situation. We don't have to try in any way whatsoever. We only need to try when we lost the conviction and we're trying to get back to it. In that case, we, we are trying. And, and that is what is an obfuscating. Uh, and insofar as we stop trying, then we're in the place where spontaneity will arise automatically. So again, this is simply pointing up non-action, which isn't something uh, uh, to do. You don't do non-action. You uh, 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 hurry up and wait for it to arise spontaneously. How can you 
directly uh, activate spontaneity. And so you cannot Another way of saying it, saying it is that when you give up, you arrive at the place of enlightenment. That's all we've had to do this whole time. <laughs> so you just completely surrender. I don't like that surrender. That's those, all those close Christian uh, connotations, but yes. <laughs> so you said give up. Is that what you used? I don't remember the term you used. Surrender. Yeah, but what you used the term right, the sentence before. I said give up. You said give up, okay. Good, well, we've settled that matter. <laughs> <laughs> now we can uh, reverse the, uh, the, the flow and uh, you can ask me anything at all. So you're, you're basically saying, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I'm hearing is that the Buddhist path is no more likely than Christian path or any kind of, any religion to help someone recognize or become enlightened. That is basically a big distraction. And for maybe political and economic reasons. Religious reasons. And religious reasons it exists the way it exists, but it doesn't actually Religious reasons that implies political and economic and social and everything else. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Object. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> but apart from, I mean, it does support Sochen, but I, I wasn't, I was saying just support realization, support enlightenment, which could exist. Say again? <clears throat> that it doesn't support <coughs> realization or enlightenment. What? That, that the Buddhist path, any more than any, any path. No path actually helps. Religion you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Religion generally leads you into some positive social, economic, and political frame that is beneficial for people who uh, invest in it. Nothing to do with Dzogchen or enlightenment or the Buddha. Would you agree? <clears throat> oh, me? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's refusing to answer. Well, I mean, where I'm at now, I mean, I agree. But I also know the little I know about you. I mean, you spent your entire life 
devoted to Dharma, whether Buddha Dharma or Dzogchen Dharma. So, you know, nobody forced that. Nobody forced you to do that. You must have, at times, I mean, yeah, you spent your whole life being devoted. You well, religion is about social cohesion and prioritization of ethics and and a feeling of fellowship of coming together and, and these are valuable commonality of social social goals and so on and all of that stuff. Yeah. That's not exactly Dutch, is it? Right, but they but they all have value. You know, I mean we we all live no man is an no a person is an island and you know, apart from realization, there's a lot of other things in life that are important are pretty important too, like community and Well then you give up Dutch and go back into your well, now, religion. Now you can't, but still I know. It's just too, it makes too much sense. I mean, you, you, you can't practice Dzogchen until you've had some initial experience of it, some realization of it. And once you've had realization of it, you can't turn back into the, the goals of, uh, of social relativity. Right. But we still live in a world, I mean, if we want to stay out of jail, we follow the laws. We want to have friends. I mean, obviously, ultimately, we need to be true to ourselves. But we still life is full of many different kinds of compromises, and that we ex that we accept. I don't know where you're going with it. You're you're deciding against object. I don't mean to. Yeah. I don't mean to. And this means you you're lacking the, the the realization of it because once you've had the, that realization, you can't go back to. You know, the, the, these uh, petty materialistic goals. Okay. But, but you don't, I mean, I'm not saying that I've had a realization of Zoshan at all, but it seems to me just in, in studying ultimate reality and, and, and what's ultimate, you know. Just all you know, day to day truth and, and ultimate truth, um, relative truth, ultimate truth. There isn't, there wouldn't be a separation, right? Absolutely, got it. So, the 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 life that one leads in the, the relative world keeps on going. You don't stop that, right? I mean, it's, it, but it's, 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 it's... That's coming. Pardon me? Yeah, coming. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't see how you can make an argument for or against either. I mean, there, there aren't... There isn't a one or the other. There is, they are... They're joined by the wisdom line, so I, I didn't understand that the, the whole discussion. Uh, 
talking about the difference between duality and non-duality, and, and the uh, the ground of doctrine, the, the the beginning of doctrine is the understanding of absolute reality. Right. In that understanding, karmic reality is taken care of. It's all right. one. Right. But that's something completely <coughs> different from. Judging life in terms of the quality of karmic reality, which there is no separation between Nirvantara and Nirvana. Obviously, in dualistic terms, Samsara and Nirvana are different. And, and where they are different, then there's chaos. There's no meaning. When they're identified, there is meaning and there is no distinction. Talking about here, if you like, what the, what the purpose of the <coughs> argument is, is to define our existence in Zogchen or as Zogchen, uh, or to recognize the experience of the nature of mind as the absolute non dual reality or the only reality. Everything else is relative, and, and and there's chaos more or less. Yes, there, there, with religion, there's more social cohesion. There's an ethical, common ethical system, and, and there, there, there is a, a single path, if you like, for people to join in. And that's one thing. 
has nothing to do with Dzogchen. Seems like there were some Dzogchen masters, or have been, who still continue to engage in religious life, and that's just because of their karma or social. Yeah, that's the, that's the society in which into which they were born, and the family into which they were born, and, the, the, and their particular uh, special, special specializations of mind and body, and so on, karmic issues. So they, for themselves personally, they could take it or leave it, but they kind of were in that situation where that was appropriate. Well, uh, another way to say it is that they're totally detached from their karmic situation. They perform that karma uh, perfectly for the benefit of others, uh, exemplary. That was going to be my next question. Um, There's no such thing as motivation right. in, okay. that, right. in right. that space of timelessness, which is the spontaneous manifestation of the nature of mind. Is the spontaneous manifestation of nature of mind the activity of bodhisattva? The dissolution of bodhisattva. I think you've got that uh, you've got the Mahayana bodhisattva who is practicing the uh, six perfections right. as opposed to the six non-perfections. Is that, is that the bodhisattva you're talking about? The bodhisattva who is engaged, like you were talking about, the, the, the Sochan masters who are still practicing in you know, teaching. Why are they still teaching? They're teaching for the benefit of others. So for others. Hmm? So for others. The Bodhisattva is activity for the self of, for, for the benefit of self and others. Right, right. Not for the benefit of others. Yeah, for the benefit. All right. Oh, okay. Well, why would a yeah, I'm having a hard time with the, the spontaneity of activity being a totally. I mean. The, the whole the whole concept of bodhisattva activity then no longer exists. There's just the spontaneous activity. That's bodhisattva activity. Okay. So the bodhisattva vow forget. You know, the, the, uh, have you have you taken the bodhisattva vow? If you have in them, in in. Uh, uh, in the full sense of the initiation into the, as a bodhisattva, you, you have these, that hundreds of different vows you, you have to take, on and on and on and on. Whereas the, the bodhisattva in the Dzogchen context, 
simply worked for men himself. There's only one ground there. And, and what arises is the spontaneous eruption of, of <coughs> let's say, generosity for the sake of all beings, which was always a, a generous gesture that allows manifestation. Well, it's a, it's a matter of which way you come from. If you come from outside the, the mandala, you knock on the door and the, the protector says, well, what have you got to offer? And you say, well, yeah, I'm following this bunch of rules. And, and he said, okay, come in and, and follow, follow them as you make your way to the center of the mandala. Whereas the, the Dzogchenba or the non-dualist parachutes into the center of the mandala uh, because karmic, because of non-karmic destiny. You could say luck, because you say luck. <laughs> and, and whatever he does there is automatically determined by the necessity of the moment. And, and that includes any kind of activity whatsoever. It does not exclude killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, or uh, any of the ten basic ethical commandments of the person who wrapped on the mandala from outside. But it's only one form of manifestation to the Dzogchen. That, that is spontaneity. That's the Buddha's, in fact, that's the Buddha's manifestation. Everybody else who's lining up outside the door and wishing to get in has innumerable commandments to obey. might say an, an impossible <coughs> number of commandments mm. to obey. So the, the, the Bodhisattva that's parachuting into the, the center of the mandala uh, has that initiatory experience and is acting out of non-duality. But the guy who's knocking on the door outside and, and following the graduated path to the center has to act in a very specific way in, in a purificatory manner in order to proceed. When I say initiatory experience, it's a, a, a poor translation of the Motropa, the Tibetan word, which, which is perhaps better translated as an experience of realization, or, or realization per se. Realization, etymologically, what does it mean? It means 
uh, functioning in reality rather than as in and as illusion. Recognition of the nature of mind, that's another phrase that's synonymous. Well, acting out of the nature of mind. That's a good metaphor, whatever. It's a good visual, yeah, yeah. But regardless, if you're knocking <coughs> on the door trying to get in, and eventually the protectors let you in, or if you parachute in, you're still <coughs> acting for the benefit of self and others. So. Whichever way you go is the right way to go. Whichever way you go is for the benefit of self. Spontaneity, uh, uh, with understanding of the totality that needs to be recognized and illuminated, and spontaneity as a response to a, a, a particular instinct or, or, uh, or some demand to, uh, that constitutes a vow, that's two different, quite two different, quite different functions. So, You might say that the individual that is allowed in the door by the protectors has innate a, 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 a karmic process which is unfolding naturally and naturally emanating the, the bodhisattva quality. Because you can't force your way into the door, that's clear. Right. You can't you can't get inside the mother unless you have the, some understanding. But where we got, where we got lost in the beginning was it is 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 only the monk or the Dharma practitioner allowed entry yeah. and. Whereas the bricklayer is excluded. Or the Christian, or the... Absolutely. Right. Oh, that was good. the animals. 
Humans have a freedom to create a separate self. Sorry? Humans have a freedom to create a separate self and experience separate self. But the, is that a is that something better? I don't know. any more questions we could move on to the celebratory part of the evening. Um, I thought we were already in there. Or <laughs> <laughs> It'll involve cake.
Well, Leicester has in his arsenal, in his, uh, his teaching arsenal, until recently, he was teaching a few Mariana people. So you, he has a, a whole uh, array of different teaching. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm not competent to teach Rajayana or, or Inayana. I, I teach what I know. And I, I teach to all comers, which is not exactly correct according to the tradition. You don't give job chant to all comers, but it means that only a proportion of the people here actually get the message. So if you're feeling left out, then that, that's the rationale. He was essentially a top gender, of course, but again, he taught the, the three yanas, Vajrayana, Mahayana, and Hinayana, to all comers. So is your karmic propensity to, is, to recognize Dzogchen? If you like, where are you going with this? look like when in the face of uh, the arising of clashes? In the rising of? Clashes. You uh, don't make a distinction between the, the clashes and any other aspect of mind or all of samsara is clashes. The nature of glacier is what is significant. The nature of the glacier is the nature of mind. Mm. So the, 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 the meditation, if you like, is identifying the nature of whatever arises as thought, word, or deed. It's, uh, I, and the thought, word, and deed are not separate from the, their nature. So all the, the practice is recognizing whatever arises. Mm -hmm. And if that recognition is full, then it's included in the mandala. If it's only partial, then it, it, it's something is left as current motivation. Uh, and there's, there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't uh, have that, that totality experience <coughs> every moment. Of course, of course I know I, I, I'm going to go on. It, 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 the clashes 
of which you grok the nature re is reduced in its power to recur. So you are th so through this full understanding, you're reducing the the, the the power of karma to reproduce or to continue. So that through either a single experience or a, a continuum of, of experiences, you're reaching the, the, the place of the rainbow body, which is uh, a human body without karmic propensity and works purely for the benefit of sentient beings. Not, I had not heard that definition of the rainbow body before. Can you say that again? Okay. Or well, something similar? That it was... The, the rainbow body uh, is, is a metaphor for body, speech, and mind in which all color has been dissolved into its nature, into its own nature. So the Sambhokakaya then, okay, is the body that has and that has no karma at all. Sambhogakaya is part of the duality that arises out of the unitary oh, dharmakaya. Right. Right, okay. Whereas rainbow body is ultimate uh, dharmakaya, if you like, or it's super dharmakaya. Please don't stop talking while you're eating. Um, <laughs> so when I knew uh, uh, Keith, we were both kind of students wandering around India. And then 40-some years later, you uh, there's been a transformation. So are there any highlights along the way that you since there is no way you can access that um, realization, what are the highlights of your experience that kind of contributed to, if not caused, um, this transformation? He didn't want me to ask this question, I don't think, but... Well, I mean, if, you, know, you could say that knocking around Asia for half a lifetime was a, a process, a part of the process. Mm -hmm. 
but is that actually that process more conducive to enlightenment than remaining at home in in the, your social uh, position? Uh, Well, that was David's question, is it? <laughs> is it? No. You don't necessarily get your questions answered. <laughs> it's a, uh, sometimes you get them answered with another question. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because you did say earlier something about the experience of another culture broadening or opening or... I do. I think that's true. And also, I, I have to give the credit to the lamas. I met the lamas just as they'd come out of the camps in Bengal. You know, everybody was rounded up and put into camps when they came out of Tibet, crossed over the passes in the winter, and them coming down up to the place they, they were put in camps and then the lucky ones got out and, and they tended to go towards the pilgrim places in India like Borgaya or Sarnath or Ruolsa uh, and I was in Benares at the time right? and, and hanging out in Sarnath so I met the lovers but uh, and then in, in Darjeeling and uh, Dharamsala, Dalhousia, uh, in the 60s when they were still uh, raw, you know, coming out, uh, they lost all the institutionalization, uh, their Tibetan conditioning was just hanging in threads. Uh, so we've got straight answers from them, which was a, a, a great uh, benefit. You know, uh, the next generation of lamas who grew up uh, in India and, and went through the Indian schools, or rather the Tibetan schools in India, uh, came out completely different although they went through the same process. They were, they were Indianized. Mm -hmm. Or at least not Tibetan. Well, not uh, yes, exactly. They, they were in a third state. Right. You know, out of your birthplace and your culture and sent on a, a, a really ego-destructive trip into somebody else's culture where you're considered 
got much higher than the, the animals. Right. Uh, there's not a penny in your pocket. Uh, you're reduced to rawness, you know, existential rawness. That's, uh, and at the same time, uh, they were like Dharmic creations. So, uh, and that made the difference. Mm -hmm. Or the experience gave them that coloring. Mm -hmm. So, well, so. I mean, you can look at that in various ways, of course. Uh, uh, it, was it just human suffering that, that was initiatory? Mm. Or was there actually something transmitted in, in terms of conceptual information or, or realization? Mm -hmm. We were definitely into the existential, experiential <coughs> side of existence. And they welcomed us. Uh, they, they, we were really the only people that they would talk to. The, the Brahmins are not interested in the talk. There was a, a few uh, Indian women, particularly, who were uh, like Florence Nightingale types, who were uh, looking after them. Uh, and they got a hit of that existential reality. Uh, but there, there wasn't, uh, we were the first ones to recognize the particularity of their existential uh, vibration. And a lot of them kept it for decades, and, and they turned out to be the the, the, the lamas, the gurus, uh, who, who who set up the Tibetan Dharma in the West, and, and they were the teachers of the next generation. And uh, that generation tends to be more concerned with the rhetoric than the actual experience. Yeah. More concerned with the what and the actual experience? Rhetoric. 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 Mm -hmm. rhetoric. What's rhetoric? Oh, rhetoric. <laughs> I have the last question, so I'll let somebody know. Um, <clears throat> have you given any thought to what uh, the Tibetan Buddhist or the Dzogchen tradition will look like 50 or 100 or 200 years from now, that, it, that it's not a, so much a, the Tibetan nature of it seems to be falling away. 
somebody used the term reification, and, and <coughs> that, that's in, almost inevitable. Hmm. How long does it take? Not 200 years, it's a couple of generations is enough. <coughs> so you, did you just say that there is a solidification, that, that we are solidifying what Tibetan Buddhism is as it moves into this culture? Something like that, yes. Something like that. And the same is true for Theravadan, the same is true for as Zen <coughs> moves from China and Japan and Korea into the United States. state of the Zen monasteries in Japan at the moment, then you would think that that process of concretization of reification had gone to an extreme, but nothing is happening in those places, it's death. Uh, and so maybe it's uh, the tendency of the, the uh, that we've exported worldwide, maybe that's what sort of smothers it, does <coughs> it. Uh, who knows? That's interesting that capitalism may be even a more formidable enemy of uh, the, the Eastern spiritual tradition and communism. Christianity in Poland and also in Russia, though after communism has been lifted, seems to be having a, a resurgence. Resurgence, yes. What does that tell us? There's a resilience among people that even after their spiritual traditions being oppressed uh, in the right circumstances, they can rejuvenate.
possibility of a, a Western language to express terminology to express Dzogchen that's fairly direct and simple. And I make this remark because even as I admire your books, but sometimes the translations, it's very technical. Yet when you're speaking here, it's very simple, very simple. And I'm wondering, do you see the possibility of just presenting these? I mean, you seem to be presenting these teachings in a live situation in a very simple non-technical way. Is there, I guess I'm just remarking on that and wondering if you see the development of a more simple and direct way of speaking of Dzogchen in, in English. The advantage of Dzogchen is simplicity itself, so it should be, un, should be expressed in simple terminology. Uh, but it is not, even in Tibetan it is not very quickly to get into a complicated, sophisticated expression and a, a difficult vocabulary. Uh, it, it's not philosophical. <coughs> it, it, it should be expressed in simple language. I'm, I'm sure of that. And so perhaps when we get original expositions mm -hmm. in the West, in order to get those original expositions, we need individuals that are no longer dependent upon the lamas. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of, of people who of uh, having suck the lamas dry <laughs> to go back into their homes, into their caves, into, into their forests, and individually, without reliance on anything except the, uh, the uh, spontaneous uh, expressions of their minds, that's what we need. Will we get yeah, that? Will we get that? There's a lot of teachers these days who teach non-duality, or they say they teach non-duality, and many of them come from the traditions of Ramana Maharshi or Vasargadatta. It seems, I mean, I, I'm afraid to say something for saying something stupid, but or not correct, but. I mean, in some ways it seems very aligned with Dzogchen, but I don't know if you paid any attention to, to any of the growing non-duality movement of teachers. In the States? In the States, all over the world. Uh, the, uh, the, the Indian... The, Exponents of Advaita Vedanta, I have great respect for, and I, I don't see that their teaching is much different from the Lamas. They might use a different vocabulary, and, and they're obviously coming in rising in a different culture, but they're saying the same thing after all. Non duality is the same worldwide, it 
it, you can't have different modes of non-duality. <laughs> clearly. Uh, and the Van Atlevedantins uh, say them very nicely. And those guys in Bombay, down the south mostly, uh, I, I think they're good, doing a good job. As for exponents in, in the West who are outside of I don't know about them. Perhaps uh, they got the message, and perhaps they didn't. But it's certainly true that just by saying you're teaching non-duality, you are teaching non-duality. There has to be some existential transmission going on. It can't be purely intellectual. Where do you live these days? Sorry? Where do you live? Where do I live? Yeah. I'm living in Mexico at the moment, Tepoztlan. This is the, one of the uh, centers of the uh, pre-Columbian uh, tradition. In the Yucatan, or where is that? In the Yucatan, or? No, it, no, 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 it's between them. Uh, to a city and Acapulco, okay. right, right in the center of the Gulf country there, hmm. the state of Morelos, the heart of Mexico. Is that where you're doing your retreat in Mexico? Uh, no, I left the east uh, because of health reasons, or Gatmanu Valley became mm -hmm. uh, really Land is not polluted? No, 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 not really. No. Uh, uh, people say that uh, Mexico City is polluted, but I haven't experienced that pollution. Um, we can close any time if you like because we've been here longer than. Or we can just stay, but. Well, uh, maybe what, we should we what, what go we home now. Tell them that. What we can to do, didn't we? <laughs> I feel like we did. <laughs> I think David's ready to go home. No, no, no. I mean, people laugh, and I don't. It's when the teacher is teaching and people walk out, it just feels like. No, it's perfectly acceptable to walk out. That is spontaneously arising. <laughs> spontaneously leaving. No, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I just didn't know um, uh, how long Keith felt like he was expected to... How long he was chained to the chair. Yeah. <laughs> but, or we could go on. I have more questions. I'm sure we could go on all night, but, but let's, let's close mm -hmm. now. And, uh, <laughs> thank you very much for the evening. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. May the dog chain increase and expand. Thank you to our organizers.